0: Well, you might like to have Psalm 93 open in front of you, just a short little psalm, but what an amazing psalm, yeah? Only five verses, and yet such a wonderful declaration about the sovereignty of the one true and living God and King, the Lord reigns. There is nothing more important for us to hear and to be reminded of than this, the Lord For us who are experiencing happy times at the moment, well, we need to carefully remember not to lose sight of this great truth. For those of us who might be going through troubled times at the moment in our lives, this truth is of greatest comfort. And for those of us who are struggling with sin, we find hope and reassurance in the fact that God reigns. <clears throat> the message of Psalm 93 is really quite simple, but it's an important message for us to know. Every day we are being blitzed with thousands of competing messages, aren't we, through television and radio, social media, and even on the side of buses. When we were driving home last Sunday from church, <coughs> as we went through the city, we saw this bus, A great big sign on the side of it that said, there's a new king in town. And so it caught our attention. And we looked a bit closer, and no, it wasn't talking about Charles III. It wasn't talking about God. It was an ad for a lion at Perth Zoo. Interesting. Well, in the midst of all the physical and mental chaos of the world, this psalm reminds us to look to the living God, the great eternal king who reigns over all things. Now, when this psalm was written, God's people could easily be forgiven for thinking quite cynically about their kings and their rulers. There had been a string of human kings that had come and gone through the history of Israel, and most of them, over and over again, were just hopeless and ungodly. And they failed to get the job done properly. What God's people needed most of all, and that's really true for us today as well, isn't it, is a king who is totally trustworthy and reliable. A king who will do what he has promised to do. A king who really cares about his people. And so verse 1, The Lord reigns, which simply means Jehovah is king. And notice the certainty of the statement. The Lord and no one else is king. It is Jehovah who reigns. The Lord God is in control. And you get the feeling that this is both a confident as well as a joyful proclamation in this psalm. The Lord reigns over the whole universe, over all of creation. But that doesn't mean that God is far removed from his people. No, we find that scripture emphasizes again and again that God's love, or rather, God loves his chosen people and he desires to be in a relationship with them, he desires to be their God. And then the New Testament tells us very clearly that those who are citizens of God's kingdom, who are citizens of heaven, who trust and believe in God's son Jesus Christ as their saviour and Lord, have in Christ, get this, been adopted as children of God, as sons and daughters of the king himself. I mean, can you believe that? In Christ we have become part of the royal family. Romans 8, 17 says that we are now heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In a world where we are being saturated daily by media and social media with stuff about Harry and Meghan criticising and wanting to distance themselves from being members of the British royal family, we need to make sure that we don't overlook and disrespect the great honour an undeserved privilege that we have of being genuine members of God's family. This sovereign and almighty reigning Lord Jesus says you can call Father. In fact, better than that, you can call him Dad. He said you can call him Abba, Dad. Eugene Peterson writes that he only got to really comprehend the intimacy of that word Abba when he was transiting through Dubai Airport and he had to wait for another flight there. And while he was sitting there, another flight arrived in and people were coming off the flight and walking you know, across the terminal and suddenly this little boy started running across the terminal with his arms spread out wide, yelling out, Abba! 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 And then he threw his arms around the legs of this man. And Eugene Peterson said, I began to understand what that word means. Our Father who art in heaven. The Lord reigns and his reign is glorious. Did you notice the king's robes of verse 1? Yeah, the Lord is robed in majesty. And notice how the psalmist here tells us that fact twice in verse 1. Here is a picture then of the full magnificence of God. Here is a statement about God's divine character. It speaks of his dignity, of his sovereign power, of his stateliness, of his splendour, of his greatness, and of his glory. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Hey, God is not merely dressed majestically. We see in Scripture that he is majestic. Jehovah is covered or enveloped with majesty itself. It's as if God oozes majesty. Psalm 8 starts and ends by saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's an amazing statement about God's character. Earthly kings have their glory with their crowns and their robes and their jewels and their scepters and their orbs. And if you watched the coronation last night on television, you would have seen all of that. But that is nothing compared to the majesty and the glory of God, the Lord reigns. His reign is glorious, and his reign is powerful. Again, verse one, he is raved in majesty, and is armed with strength. God is armed with strength. God has all the power he needs to reign. This divine king is no wimp. No way in the world. He is all-powerful. He is able to do anything and everything he wants to do. And God wasn't given this power. He didn't inherit it. He didn't earn it. It is God's from the very beginning. It is God's inherent omnipotence. This is what God is like in himself. He is El Shaddai, the almighty God, and his power undergirds his rule. Nothing is beyond his control. This king has real power, real authority, and it provides us with a real sense of confidence and security and stability. We see God's great power and strength in the creation of the world, and you see that at the end of verse 1. Indeed, the world is firmly established, firm and secure. It may not seem like that. When you look at what's happening around us, it might seem that the the world changes all the time. But no, here is the reassurance that God is ultimately in control. It is firmly established, we're told. Nothing happens unless it happens in accordance with God's perfect will and plan. And so Psalm 97 begins by saying, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. The Lord reigns, his reign is glorious, his reign is powerful, and his reign is eternal. Look at verse 2. Your throne was established long ago, You are from all eternity. We're used to seeing kings and queens and leaders come and go, aren't we? But God has always been on the throne. When we speak of kings and queens, we usually speak about the countries that uh, uh, they come from or the kingdoms in which they reign over. And we also speak about the dates of their rule, don't we? For example, King Henry VIII ruled over England from 1509 to 1547. King Abdullah ruled over Saudi Arabia for almost 10 years from 2005 until 2015. Donald Trump was President of the United States of America for four years. But compare that, say, to Queen Elizabeth II, who ruled over the British Commonwealth for 70 years from 1952 to no- 2022. Well, when you think about that, this psalm takes our breath away. From the, for it says that the sphere of God's rule is the whole world. It's the whole world. Think about that for a moment. There are no borders to his kingdom, there are no superpowers outside of his control. His kingdom is endless. First one, it is firm and secure. And how long has God reigned over the earth? Verse 2, your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. Or if you look down to the last verse, verse 5, holiness adorns your house for endless days. This isn't a new God on the block, is it? He has always been on the throne. God isn't frightened of any successors. There will be be no other God who looks after the whole world. His kingdom is everlasting. That's the reassurance of this psalm, but there's also a sort of a warning here because God lays claim to all of time and space. We need to ask ourselves if we really acknowledge that, whether we truly acknowledge the reign of this king in every instance of our lives. For there is a danger that our lives can be sectioned off. You know, that we can limit, as it were, God's reign over us. We can try and limit that to, say, particular areas of our lives. You know, maybe in church, but not in the office. Maybe at home, but not at the pub. Or maybe we try to limit God in terms of time. What about our holidays? Do we think of holidays as time off from being a Christian? Do we tend to divide our lives into God's time and my time? You see, God lays claim to every location and every day of history. And we need to keep remembering that. The more certain we are of the Lord's reign, then the more we will want to live under his rule. The Lord has reigned from eternity past. He is still reigning today and he will reign for endless days. That's something we can trust, yeah? His reign is eternal. And as Malachi 3 and Hebrews 13 reminds us, God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. As we come to verses 3 and 4, we see that the Lord's reign is also triumphant. It's also triumphant. And as we read these couple of verses, bear in mind that raging seas and watery chaos in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, often represents the forces of evil. Verse 3, The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Ever tried to stop a wave pounding on the seashore? Yeah? Well, maybe next time that you're at Coleslaw or City Beach or Scarborough, why not give it a go? Go out there, stand in the water, and then, you know, tell the waves to stop. See how successful you are. Maybe you might like to try just a small wave to start with. But you can't do it, can you? Being at the beach can be an enjoyable experience, but we also know only too well in a the sense the, the immense power of the sea and how destructive the forces of the sea can be. I don't know about you, but I still have images in my mind of the tsunami that devastated Japan in 2011, went through Fukushima and other places. It was unbelievable to watch. But it showed the world just how helpless we are in trying to counter the forces of nature. What about the floods in northern Western Australia or in Queensland and northern New South Wales? The world can be a frightening, and dangerous place. It says here the seas have lifted up. There are times when life is like those pounding waves, the sorrow and troubles that, uh, from our perspective, are just too great to bear. Every day, some of us get caught in what you might call the cross-currents of life. We take a pounding, even in God's world, even as part of God's kingdom, The first thing we do quite often is ask, why? Why is this happening to me? And yet here in Psalm 93, we are reminded that whatever we go through, the Lord still reigns, and he and he alone is mighty, mightier than anything that's happening around us. The world might be shaken by the hosts of uh, commotion and all sorts of things, but there is no defeat in the government of God. God can control all things with his mighty power. He is the pillar of hope that stands firm when everything else is falling to pieces. Now, that's not a complete answer to suffering, but it is a real one. When the waves come crushing in, God's rule is unassailable. God is greater, stronger and mightier than anything in all of creation. The Lord reigns triumphantly. But do you trust him? As we come to verse 5, it says, the Lord reigns in truth. Look at verse 5. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. When we are in the midst of chaos and trouble, we look by faith to the throne of grace and to the word of God. Warren Worsby says, the truth about what is going on in the world is not in the newspapers but in the scriptures. God's word stands firm. God's word is trustworthy because God himself is trustworthy. What a statement about the integrity of God. You can trust God and take him at his word because he is completely reliable. What he says, what he declares is absolutely true. And unlike our tax laws, God's law or God's word never changes. That's the security that we have in the gospel. This, then, should make a difference in the way that we live. For if God reigns supreme and his words and promises are sure, that should motivate us to live and behave in the way that God would have us live. Whatever situations we might find ourselves in, whether it be good or whether it be bad, godliness still applies. Holiness is always fashionable for a Christian. God's laws, his statutes are for us to obey or at least to try and obey. The Lord reigns in truth and also in holiness. The end of verse 5. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. Holiness is what befits God's house. Holiness brings out the beauty of his dwelling place because God himself Is holy and his holiness is everlasting. You see that? It's for endless days. God is holy, God's house is holy, and we as God's people are to be holy. That's the exhortation that comes in 1 Peter chapter 1. Just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. In other words, make the effort to to be separate from the world and to be set apart for God. Live out the transformed lives that you have in Christ. As we said before, part of this great transformation that we experience in Christ is that we are now children of God, members of God's royal family. We haven't been humanly or naturally born into this royal family. It is an undeserved gift from God Himself. One John chapter three verse one says How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are, John says. In one sorry, in John chapter one we read to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God, children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, we have been given new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. In Christ, we have been transformed from being enemies of God to being his chosen people, as the NIV puts it now, his special possession. We have been transformed from being children of the devil to being children of our God and King. And we are now co-heirs with Christ. We now have this unbelievable inheritance that we read about in 1 Peter 1 that inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, does this mean that we will inherit exactly what Jesus inherits? It's an interesting thought. As I thought about that, I thought, no, I don't think it necessarily uh, says that or means that, but rather we will inherit exactly what God has set apart for his own children. For example, I see it of my estate, if, and when I die, I suppose, my five children are all heirs of my estate. But does that mean that they will automatically receive equal shares of my estate? No, it doesn't, does it? As you even see on television or hear, People's wills can leave different things to different people. And I believe it's the same with us as Christians. We will inherit what God has promised us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the the unusual thing about the nature of this inheritance is that we come into this amazing inheritance when we die, not when God dies. And thanks be to God for that because... God is eternal and will never die. Some of those great blessings and promises of God are ours right now, like forgiveness of sins and eternal life, like being reconciled to God and being loved by God and having that promise that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We experience that as part of our inheritance now. But then there are some things that we will inherit in the future after we die, like inheriting our spiritual bodies, like being in the house of the Lord or in heaven forever, or like enjoying the fact that there will be no more suffering or pain or or, or sadness or even death itself, an inheritance that releases us from our present sinful human bodies and that releases us from the woes and hardships of this present broken world. What a great inheritance. What an absolute privilege that comes from being a child of God. As you read through the Old Testament you find that Human kingship had failed the Israelites time and time again and what they needed was not simply a mediator but a king, a a king who would reign supreme. But the tragedy is that when that king came, proclaiming in Mark chapter 1 that the kingdom of God was at hand, so many people rejected his rule and his kingship. Well, except for a few. In Mark chapter 4, we had that experience of Jesus being in a boat that is being pounded by waves and, in fact, not just pounded from the outside, but the waves were filling into it. And the others in that boat saw him stand up and speak to the waves with such authority. Peace, be still. And in Mark 4 says that the disciples were filled with great fear and they said to one another, Who is this that even the waves and the wind obey him? A few people did acknowledge this king who in Mark chapter 15 has a purple robe taken off him and then who is put onto a cross and he dies under a sign that says the king of the Jews. Psalm 93 would say, yes, he is the king who reigns. He is God's king, the one who is robed in majesty. He is the one who people will one day acknowledge as the lamb on the throne and they will sing, hallelujah, for the Lord God almighty reigns. He is the eternal one who is described as being King of kings and Lord of lords. And it is this Jesus who is King of God's kingdom. He is God's king. Yeah. Robed in majesty, armed with strength, reigning triumphantly for all eternity. As we celebrate around the Lord's table together this morning, we again remember his great triumph over sin and death. And the God who reigns, who is robed in majesty and is almighty and eternal and holy and completely trustworthy, is also the same God who comes alongside of us in our times of need, who is a very present help in trouble because he is in control and he will reign forever and ever. And so let me encourage you, as the old hymn says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, your Lord is King. Your Lord and King adore. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for these great words. We thank you for the way that you've revealed yourself to us, not just as the creator of the world and the sustainer of the world, but the one who is reigning over the world. Father, we thank you that in Jesus you have provided us with your king, an eternal king, the one who is described as king of kings, lord of lords. Father, we thank you that you reign, that reign is eternal, Father, we thank you that in times when things are good, we have the privilege of coming to you as your children and thanking you. And times are not so good, we again come and thank you that you are in control of all things, that whatever happens to us, all things will work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And Father, we thank you for that very fact that we can call you our Father. We thank you for the privilege we have of being your adopted children and we pray that you will encourage us and help us to live as your people, as your children. Father, we ask this in and through your son's precious name. Amen.